Welcome back, and it's been an absolute pleasure to have been with you for quite a few different sessions on this course, just to share about the sort of things that we've been learning in London and how to engage with Muslims. And if I were to say in a nutshell what this whole course has been about, it has really been looking at the whole concept of how um, in order to engage Muslims, or we engage Muslims lovingly by pointing out the weaknesses of Islam. That really is, an, in a nutshell, what we have have done. We've looked at the weaknesses of Islam. We've looked. Uh, we've applied all sorts of polemics to Islamic ideology. Um, we've not challenged Muslims themselves, but their ideas is what we've challenged, and that is really the the way we lovingly engage the Muslim mind. How we lovingly engage Muslims themselves. We don't attack them personally. We don't insult them personally. Um, as Christians, we must never become offensive in how we engage with a person, but we certainly must become confident and bold in how we challenge an ideology. That's a very, very important distinction to make. So we're not actually going to look any more at any more real polemics um, in this session, this last session together. We're not even going to focus too much on apologetics, defense of the faith. So challenge, polemics, and defense um, apologetics. What I'd like to, how I'd like to sort of wrap up this whole course together is really to um, st- take a step back and just talk to you as, as an ambassador of God. You are ambassadors of God. I am an ambassador of God. We carry the mantle of the gospel that God has given us to take out into all the world. The great commission that Jesus gave, his last command, go out into all the world and baptize in the name, the one name, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in that crowd of 500 or so people and more, there was men and women who were listening to him as he gave that great exhortation. And the reason why I have even done this course with you, the reason why you're watching this course is because you too want to be a part of God's great commission. You want to also be a part of his ministry, his mission on earth. That's why we do our homework. That's why we learn the apologetics we need to learn. That's why we learn the polemics that we need to learn um, in order to be better equipped to take the gospel out. So what I'm going to do now for the next 25 minutes or so is to stand before you as everything um, a person should not be in order to fulfill that great permission, uh, commission. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, it, when you look at the world of Islam, I am everything you don't really want an ambassador to be, especially from a, a mere human uh, perspective. So, um, for example, I am a woman. That's one whammy against me uh, as, as a woman in a very male Muslim world. I am a single woman. That's another whammy against me. And I am a childless woman and I am a Christian woman. I am everything you really don't want. Apparently, and this is certainly what I was told in the early days of my ministry, um, you're, it's, I'm not what you want to be in order to be an ambassador to the Muslim world. So said fellow Christians and so said um, some Muslims. Muslims. However, I don't follow fellow Christians and I don't follow Muslims. I follow the one true God. And the one true God has no issue with a single um, childless 
Christian woman being one of his ambassadors because who I am and what God has asked me to do as he has asked you to do is all to do with simply you are his creation and if you're a Christian you are his child so you are his ambassador that's your remit in life that's the reason you exist is to tell the world of the Lord Jesus Christ especially in the Muslim world and to bring them all home to Christ and this wonderful book the Bible and to bring them to salvation introduce them to your savior savior so they can be with you for eternity with God um, in heaven that's what we're all about and we also are about introducing Muslims to their real value their value not because they're married or not because they're they have children um, not because they belong to a family but simply because they are created in God's image and God died for them and God rose from the dead and he conquered sin that's what we're all about taking that to the world so what I want to do is just stand before you um, as, as, a, as a woman who, when I was a young woman in my 20s, I had absolutely nothing to give. You know, uh, when I first started out on this journey, I, I didn't have uh, speaking skills. I had, I didn't, I struggled to learn. I have dyslexia. And so for me, the whole learning process was a burden. Um, I was deeply uh, fearful. I had all sorts of insecurities. And in, and in fact, my actual thorn in the flesh, to use um, one of Paul's phrases from the New Testament, my thorn in the flesh, or one of them, is fear. And this fear debilitated me. And so when I I saw that great commission of Jesus and he says, go out into all the world and make disciples of all nations. My response was, I want to, but I don't have a clue. I don't have the courage. I don't have the abilities. I don't even know what gifts I've got. There is nothing I have to offer. The only thing I had to offer was I had a willing heart and God saw that willing heart. And that is all God needs in order to reach his world. If you're willing to serve him just as who you are. And of course, once we've given our lives to serve him, then he empowers you, then he equips you, and then you can change the world. And you can change the world with this book here, with this message about the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when I first went into missions, that was uh, about 20 years ago or so, I just graduated from Bible college and I somehow had managed to scrape through and get my uh, exams done and managed to graduate with a, a degree in biblical studies. But there was a lot of obstacles along the way. And I went into missions having been, um, having been exposed um, very little to Islam. I knew God was calling me to Muslims. I'd seen the great numbers of Muslims in the world, how the church was not responsible responding well to Islam. It's still strong, struggling to respond well to Islam, hence why we do courses like this. It's still struggling to be well-equipped, unlike Muslims who are amazingly equipped to challenge us because they follow openly on the internet these big super debaters, Muslim debaters, who just have a huge following of Muslims. And we Christians tend to be so timid. We tend to be so um, hidden in our evangelism. And when most of us have been trained in how to take the gospel to Muslims, most of us are, are told that uh, we must never offend the Muslim, we must never, uh, we must never challenge um, Islamic ideology, never challenge Muhammad, um, never challenge the Quran, never challenge Allah. And that's what we're taught. We're, we're taught a lot of don'ts. Don't do this. And as a, a single woman, 
I was told that, well, Betty, you really need to think about getting married. And if you really want to have a thriving ministry among Muslims, you need to try get married and find a husband um, so that you, your husband can reach the men and you can reach the women. You're only allowed to talk to women. And um, really, this is, this is, the, this is how you as a, as a single Western girl need to be. And you're Western, so they're going to think you're immoral. Um, and you've got light eyes, so that might put a bit of a fear and superstition in some of them. All these strange ideas. And don't smile too much. You laugh too much. <laughs> and in fact, in one Muslim country, when I went there to see if that's where God wanted me to minister, I think I got in trouble the first night there because I burst out laughing on the streets. And in that culture, that meant that you were sort of a loose woman. You're an immoral woman. So I quickly learned that was probably not the place God wanted me. And I needed to be in a place where I could laugh freely. Nevertheless, I went back to Britain and I decided Britain was the place I needed to stay because I needed to be in a, in a place where I could openly and, and very freely share. So I went back to Britain and um, I can laugh on the streets of London. And I had some uh, Christians in Britain tell me that I, I, I shouldn't laugh so much and I, and I should try to be a little bit more demure in, in the way I, I behaved. And I turned to my Christian friends and I said, you know what, here in Britain, we have one thing that they don't have in the Muslim world, especially that Muslim country that I'd gone to. We have the freedom to be joyful, open, honest, and uh, outspoken Christians. I couldn't be that way when I went to that Muslim country. We have a privilege at the moment in Britain to be able to freely communicate our faith with Muslims. And yet, do you know what's sad? Much of the church in the West, in Britain and America and other countries, is behaving as if they live in Muslim lands. We are not robustly and honestly and convincingly communicating our faith with Muslims. We believe the only way to approach Muslims is through friendship evangelism. And I want to say very, very clearly, if we are to be real ambassadors for Christ, our end goal is not friendship. If we are to truly love Muslims, our end goal is not friendship with Muslims. Our end goal is to see Muslims saved. If we truly love our Muslim friends or any Muslims we see on the street, our end goal is to introduce them to Christ, the one who can save them. Now, that can be done through friendship. Absolutely. I have friends from many, many different cultures in the United Kingdom. But it can also mean that you're going to make enemies. The moment I say this book is not from God, this Quran, the moment I say I do not believe Muhammad is a prophet, even if I can prove it, which we can... You will make an enemy. You will make some Muslims hate you. And you know what? The Bible says that's what's going to happen. They will hate us and they may love us. It's both. We are both going to have friends and we're going to make enemies. Sometimes some of your friends will turn into your enemies. And that is okay too. That's exactly what happened to the Lord Jesus. One of his own disciples betrayed him. So we must make very clear distinctions when we are when we when we go into the realm of ministry and um, when we enter the Islamic world or or whether it be the Islamic world um, actually where it's majority Muslim or the Islamic world in the Western world and there are all sorts of pockets of the Islamic world residing in Western countries, but we must make very very important distinctions. So for example. <clears throat> And we were just discussing um, just before we started filming how 
in some places here in the West, um, you'll have a lot of girls. So um, here in America, where we're filming, um, you'll have um, uh, Christian girls who have the opportunity for the first time to take the gospel to Muslims in America. And some of the big questions the girls are thinking is, well, uh, when I go into the Muslim home, am I supposed to wear a hijab? When I meet up with my Muslim friend in the coffee shop, should I put the veil on? And our immediate response to when we see Muslims in the mist is, I don't have a clue how to relate to these Muslim women around me. Or even if you're a man, I don't have a clue how to relate to these Muslim men around me. Because what we see is the barrier that Islam puts up. Islam puts up a barrier, but that is a theological concept in Islam. For example, you have a hijab, a barrier between God or the Islamic God, not our God, Allah and the human. You have a barrier between the man and a woman. Um, There's a barrier in all sorts of, of, of situations. The hijab is a barrier. That's what it's all about between humans and God and man and a woman and between Muslim and non-Muslim. And that dress of the Muslim dress and the hijab is a barrier. And so what we see is a Muslim and we think, ooh, do I start compromising? Do I start putting on the hijab? And there's been a huge controversy in America in the last year or so where a professor of a Christian university decided to wear the hijab because she said she was identifying with the Muslims around her because her heart was in the right place, but her theology was all wrong. Her missiology, the way she practiced being an ambassador for God was misguided. You see, what this woman had done, this professor of a Christian university, she loved the Muslim and she saw how they were being looked down upon because of the atrocities around the world due to radical Islam. And because of her love, what did she do? Instead of making clear distinctions, she brought the religions together She tried to find common ground. She tried to find the similarities. This is something that we've been doing in missions for so long, and it is hindering our evangelism. It is stopping the good news of Jesus going out to the Muslim world. And so what this woman needed to have done is not only love the Muslim in her city, in her midst, she needed to hold on to truth. And so when we love the Muslim, we never let go of the truth. We never compromise. If you love the Muslim, you will love them enough to point out the differences. That's the point of having love and truth. If you just love truth and you don't, and you don't love, just love the person, you will end up hating a Muslim and only loving the gospel, but hating the people of Islam. But if you have both truth and love together, then you will be able to be wise in how you approach Islam, which is what this whole course has been about. We have been um, challenging the ideologies of Islam. Why? Because we love the Muslim. Why? Because we love the truth. So we challenge an ideology. We love a human being. A human being is made in the image of God. God died for them. Every Muslim, even with their barriers on, even with the hijab, or worse, the niqab, where you can only see their eyes, or the men with their beards and flowing robes and the sort of radical way that they look, or even if they look westernized, but but they are aggressive and they seem powerful and strong and committed, that barrier that comes up between the Muslim and the non, the Christian can break through because we see the person. We see a person made in the image of God who God died 
provide for and who is actually just like you and me, who is a mother, who is single, who is struggling, who is pain, who is agony, who has lost loved ones, who is ill, just like you and I, who needs pastoral care. Now, back in London, I wrote just a short little, ex, um, short little uh, article for our website, and it was on the Christian responding to the refugee crisis. You see, Europe has had a million Muslims or so walk into the continent in the last few year or two. That means Europe and the European church has to be ready to receive or has, has received a million Muslims, many of whom are traditional, many of whom are radicalized um, or radicalizing. And if the church doesn't respond with a confident Christianity, with clear distinctions on our differences, which, by the way, makes evangelism easier, with a clear view that everything Islam teaches in its core theology on man and woman and just on salvation, on God, on human beings, on the concept of sin, salvation, and eternity, those five areas, if this book teaches everything that opposes what my book, the Bible teaches, the book that you and I love and follow, and the book that leads us to Christ, everything that this book teaches goes against what we believe to be true and know to be true. So we point Point out those differences. We make clear distinctions. We do not find common ground with Islamic ideology. You can find common ground with the Muslim person, with their issues, with their struggles with life, but not the ideology. So a helpful way to think about this is bridges. Think of bridges. You walk across a bridge um, to get to somewhere. Well, think of a Muslim over here and a Christian over here. And Christ has asked us to walk across bridges to get to the Muslim. But what what Christians have done, unfortunately, is they've walked across the bridge, they've gone towards Islam, tried to find commonalities, but they've made a mistake. They've stayed near the near Islam. So they've come to the person, but instead of taking the person out of Islam, back over here to Christ, they've kept the Muslim in Islam, and they've almost tried to find a way where they align themselves with Islam, and they are accommodate Islam and they put hijabs on because they think they're identifying with the Muslim. No, you're identifying with the religion when you put the hijab on. That is a religious symbol. We do not identify with their symbols or with their religion, but with the human being that is loved by God, which means they are loved by us too. So there's all sorts of confusion in the church. Something else has happened um, in, in my context where Yes, in Muslim countries, you have to be a little careful how you take the gospel um, to Muslims. For those of you who live in Muslim-majority countries, you have to be a little careful. But that doesn't mean you don't learn nor um, get to grips with the problems with this book. You may not be able to preach it from the street corners of Pakistan or Saudi Arabia or Indonesia, But you certainly can be aware of the pitfalls and the the religious um, uh, confusion that this book has when it comes to God, human sin, salvation and eternity. And so as those of you who live in those societies where you cannot freely uh, challenge Muhammad because it's against the law, you have to find ways to be confident still in your faith. I was speaking very recently in a country in Europe that is um, very close to um, a Muslim country, and they have about 15% Muslims in this country. And this particular country sees their um, history as very um, wounded because of the presence of Islam. 
Uh, Islam ruled that country for 500 years. And when you speak to the Christians of that country, they say, yes, we ha- now have freedoms here, and they wouldn't have done under Islam. They said, we have freedoms here now. Um, but when we hear what you're saying, Beth, that we need to confidently take the gospel to Muslims, but we don't because what we, how we emotionally respond to Islam is naturally a, a feeling of hate and dislike of the Muslims in our midst because we were um, under 500 years of Islamic slavery. Now that's how they, they see it in that particular country. And I said to them, you might have been under 500 years of Islamic slavery, but the fact is the Great Commission still applies to you and you're not in a tight, closed country like your neighboring Muslim country is, you still have the freedom to debate and discuss and to share your faith. But in that country that is now part of the European um, world, they, the Christians were self-muzzling themselves. They were holding themselves back um, from sharing their faith because of their emotion towards Muslims, but they had confused something. They'd seen the religion of Islam, the ideology, and they'd forgotten the people behind it. They'd forgotten the people made in the image of God. And what the Christians in that country need to do is, yes, see the ideology that controlled them and put them into slavery for 500 years, but see the people that are held and bound by that ideology. That's the point of why we do anything that we do. We challenge Islam because we love the Muslim. We we see the people bound by this ideology and we want to free them from this ideology. That's what Jesus' first sermon was all about. He talked about, I have come to set the prisoner free. The whole of the Muslim world, almost two billion of them, are gripped in the bonds and the slavery of Islam. When a person becomes a Muslim, they call themselves Abdullah, a slave of Allah. Now, I, I as a single, uh, a white a single, a Christian, childless woman, so five whammies against me, I was speaking to a a Jamaican young man who had converted to Islam. Jamaica has a very painful history of slavery. There's a lot of pain there, and and, and it's legitimate, that pain. But my heart broke as I stood next to my beautiful Christian Jamaican or uh, uh, British girl, but with Jamaican heritage. She stood next to me and our hearts broke as this new Muslim young man who was of Jamaican origin said to us, I, what is your name? We asked. And he said, I am Abdullah, slave of Allah. This young man whose ancestors fought against slavery, who had been released from slavery, has now put himself under the bondage of Islam. He is now a slave again, a slave of Allah. The agony and, uh, of, of, of watching this man choose to go under slavery. The reason why we challenge Islam is we want to free people from the bondage of slavery. And folks, I stand before you as a white, single, and um, a childless Christian girl who has gone out and has obeyed the Great Commission, not in my own power, but only in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, because I had nothing to offer except a willing heart to serve. That's all. And that doesn't mean it was always a willing heart to serve. There was a whole journey there too. Nevertheless, I got there, which hopefully most of you and all of you will too, or are getting there. But as I I engaged this Islamic realm 
um, in, in, in the state that I was and who I was, where Christians told me I, I, I didn't fit the job, where Muslims kind of looked at me suspiciously. Do you know what I found over, overcame all of the human obstacles, the obstacles Muslims put on me, the obstacles Christians put on me, the obstacles of do's and don'ts that missions puts on us and so on, and of strange, weird ideas coming out of um, missions sometimes. What what changed things for me was that I knew who my power came from, I knew who my identity was, and I knew who had commissioned me, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ is never afraid of gender. He doesn't allow human limitations to stop him. And if God is calling us, we can do things more than we can ever imagine. But what is important is that we remember a few things. And I mentioned this in a few previous sessions. Remember the quotes that I quoted some sessions back, um, where uh, one who is a Hafiz, and he, that means he knows the Quran off by heart. He knows it in three different languages. And he said that Muhammad came to undermine and undo the work of Christ. Muhammad came to undermine and undo the work of Christ. And then a missionary from West Africa who said on every point of the gospel, Islam teaches the opposite. So when we start engaging with Muslims, we've got to remember some very clear distinctions. One, we we have very huge differences in our ideology. We have a God that is completely opposite of what Islam says God is. They have a God of distance, a God who calls Muslims to hate and fight, a God who tells men to suppress women, as I think has been evident in this course. We have a God who, uh, of Islam. They have a God of Islam that teaches um, men to even be allowed to abuse women and um, a prophet that said in the name of his God, Allah, he's allowed to enslave women, Slavery, it seems to come up all the time in Islam. Uh, Men can enslave women. Uh, They are a slave of God. Abdullah is one of the favorite names of a a convert to Islam. And so they have this God that brings people under bondage. But we have a God that sees man and woman made in his image, image, Genesis 1, 27. We see a God that looked at women and treated them as equals. We see a God in the Bible that talks to women as, as in his culture, only a man um, could talk to another man. We see a God who enters our realm, who loves us so much that he died for man and woman and child. He died for everyone, including the Muslim. And so what we need to do is point out the distinctives between our two gods, the differences between how the two religions view man and woman, both between each other and then how God views man and woman. We need to do those comparisons. We need to show those differences. We need to be absolutely confident in our evangelism. We know our identity does not um, stand on our marital status or lack of, on whether we have children or don't have children. Our values and our identity belongs to the to Christ who made us. He made us valuable just because of who we are. Psalm 139, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are designed by the King of heaven. And it's our Muslim friends who have no understanding of that. This religion 
Islam has taken two, almost, almost two billion people away from the God who wants to save them, who wants to bring man and woman back into perfect relationship with each other, as Genesis talks about, that perfect relationship between man and woman before the fall, and then perfect relationship with God, starting actually with that relationship, perfect relationship with God because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his work, then perfect relationship between man and woman, so that man and woman values each other as brothers and sisters serving one another in the family of God. Folks, if we can take that message to the Muslim world, we can rescue almost two billion people, a quarter of the world's population, out of a religion that is going to take them to eternal separation from God. I do not want that. And why you're doing this course? Because you don't want that too. We want to see those two billion people walk back into the presence of God, but it's going to take bold, it's going to take passionate, is going to take convinced evangelists to do it. And that is you and that is I.